Well, I think most of you, uh, if you're at First Evan, most of you know what our theme is for the year in women's ministry. Can I hear, what is the theme? What do y'all? Anchored. The theme is that everywhere you walk, there's an anchor on a poster. Uh, and that is also the title of our study in First Peter. And the reason that I chose the theme of anchored for this year is because of where we are in our world today. Um, we, and I shared this a little bit at the All Women's event back in August, we live in a time where life is uncertain. Uh, it's not unusual to turn on the TV and to hear about another terrorist attack or a shooting in a school or a mall or even a church or a neighborhood. There's just things going on all over the world. We don't feel as safe as we did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And just politics is ever-changing, and we don't know the future of our country down the road. We're living in a time of uncertainty. You know, we are free to attend church today, openly without being afraid of what might happen. But will that always be the case? Will that change down the road for us? Well, our theme verse this year for women's ministry is Hebrews 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Jesus Christ is our anchor. And so the questions I want us to think about as we move into uh, this First Peter study is, how are we going to face these uncertain times? How are we going to face those storms of life that come at us that we weren't expecting? Are we going to be swept away by the currents of our society today and get swept into the thinking of the world? Or are we going to stand firm to what we know is God's truth? Are we going to hold fast to our anchor, Jesus Christ? You know, I shared with you uh, at the All Women's event, uh, for those of you who don't go here, we have a, a kickoff event in August for all of our women. And I think most of you were there, but some weren't. And I just want to review a little of what I shared with, with you at that event. I talked about... Um, the need to be anchored in the storms of life and how I I mentioned three storms. I'm just going to review that quickly with you. Three storms that we will deal with in time, if not already. And the first storm is the storm of doctrine and specifically false doctrine. Because we're living in a world now that you'll hear people, I hear people say, Do you really believe the Bible is true today? It was written so long ago. How can that be relevant to today's times? You're living in an old world. Or, you know, marriage isn't for today. That's that's old-fashioned. Just live with somebody. Don't, Don't worry about the commitment. Or it's okay to be married, same sex marriage. I mean, the Bible was written so long ago. Do what you want to do. Do what feels good for you. It's okay. That is a storm of doctrine. And unless we're anchored, we're not going to overcome that storm. We're going to be swept along with the current 
of what the world is telling us is true. And I shared with you that uh, the way to stay, to overcome that storm of doctrine is to be anchored to God's word. You have got to stay in his word. That's why I'm so glad that we have a room full of women who want to study the word of God. Because if you're not going to be in the word, you're going to be swept away by those storms. So you've got to stay anchored to the Word of God. The second storm I talked about was the storm of doubt. And those are those storms that come up hard times. Things happen that you were not expecting. And all of a sudden, you're starting to doubt God. Well, God, if you loved me, why did you let this happen to me? God, where are you in this? I pray and I don't hear you. And so those storms of doubt, we start just really questioning God. And the way we stay anchored in the storms of doubt is that we stay anchored to his character. We've got to know who he is. God, I don't feel like you love me right now, but your word says you do. And I choose to believe your word over what I'm feeling. Third storm. And again, this is review for those of you who were at the all-women's event, but I thought this was a great way to kick off this study, the storm of defeat. Those seasons when we blow it, when we sin. Now, we're going to all sin every day, whether it's just a thought that runs through our mind. But I'm talking about those seasons of life when you sin and you don't deal with it. And you ignore it, you rationalize it, you just continue in it and you don't confess it, you don't change. That's the storm of defeat. And if you're not careful, the enemy will get hold of you and he'll convince you. God could not love you after what you've done. Or you think God could use you now after that? And you begin to give up on the Christian life and you just, you're defeated. And the way that we overcome the storm of defeat is by staying anchored to his Holy Spirit in us. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is going to give you the strength to say no to sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to convict you when you do sin. And he's going to give you the strength to turn away from that sin. And so those are the three storms I mentioned in August and the ways that we overcome them. If we're going to overcome the storms of life, we have to be anchored to Jesus Christ and everything associated with him, his word, his character, his spirit. And so First Peter fits very well into this theme of being anchored because this letter was written to believers in a time of uncertainty. And there were lots of storms on the horizon. We're going to talk about that. And so this morning, I just want to give you a quick overview of the book of 1 Peter. I hope you had time this week to read the book as a whole and to kind of do your own overview. But I want to just take time to address some of the key factors in in the author and um, the layout of the book. And so let's just jump in. Uh, The author, obviously, that's the first thing we want to talk about. And he identifies himself in the book. Peter. Now, I will say there are a few people who debate that and say Peter couldn't have written this. But their arguments don't hold weight. 
And so we will just agree with the majority of scholars who say that Peter, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ, apostle in the first century church, he was the one who wrote this. And his ministry started out among the Jews, but he came to realize that the gospel was for everybody, not just for the Jews. And so he began to shift his attention and took the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he, that was his heart. And Peter had weaknesses. I think if you've read through the gospels, you'll see he, he did things before thinking. He denied Christ. But once the Holy Spirit came and indwelt him, he was a changed man. And he became outspoken for the Lord. You know, church tradition tells us that he died in Rome for his faith. Yes, he denied Jesus, but he died for him. So the Holy Spirit changed him, and that should be an encouragement to us. If, if God can change Peter, he can change me. So this was the first of two letters that Peter wrote the believers. And after writing that first letter, Peter was arrested, and he was tried for his faith. And then he wrote the second letter while he was waiting for his execution. So that kind of tells you what was going on during this time for Peter. All right, the second thing I want to look at is the audience. Um, again, that's listed in the first few verses of the letter, but he was writing to Christians who were living in Rome and the northern part of Asia Minor, which today is modern-day Turkey. He was writing probably to Jews and Gentiles, but that was his audience. And then the third thing I want to look at is the situation. We've talked about this briefly, but this first letter that we're going to be studying, it was written during a time of uncertainty. It was probably around AD 64. It was right before the persecutions of Nero got really bad. And he knew that these persecutions were coming. These Christians weren't going through major persecution yet, being martyred yet. It, the, most scholars think this was more local opposition in their towns, in their cities. The, the non-Christians would um, slander them. They would ostracize them. They would ridicule them for their faith. They would perhaps not give them any work or let them come into their stores. It was more of a local opposition. But Peter knew that was just the beginning of what was going to come. They were going to suffer persecution. And they needed to be anchored in their faith. That was the situation from which he wrote. And then the fourth thing is the purpose. He wrote to encourage believers to stand firm in the face of persecution. In other words, he's saying you need to be anchored in Christ because the storms of persecution are coming. And you've got to make sure your anchor is solid. For some of these believers, they were going to lose their lives in the coming months and years. And they needed to be reminded of where their hope was could be found in Jesus. And if we are going to get through the struggles and the storms of life today, 
we've also got to be anchored to him. And if we're going to be anchored to him, we have to know him. We have to know who is this God that I'm supposed to be anchored to. So this week, as I was going through um, the lecture, uh, I originally had planned to do something different. And then Saturday morning, I started going through, and I realized how many names of God or Jesus that Peter mentioned. And so I started coloring them in my Bible. And I thought, you know what? We're just going to spend time today in this overview. I'm going to go through all the names of God that Peter referred to and used in this letter, and then what is our response to him in this name? So let's jump in. I'm not going to tell you how many, because some of you might get up and walk out. So just hang in there with me, okay? The first name is God the Father. We see that at the very beginning of the letter, verses uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. He said, to those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God is our Father, and He will take care of us. He will provide for us. And if you ever just stop to think that God chose you before the foundation of the world, He chose you. Now, I know there's a lot of different views on predestination, I mean, election. We'll talk about that next week, so come back next week. But he chose us. He says that in chapter 1, you are the chosen ones. He is our Father. Do you realize how loved we are that God chose you to be his child? And so, what should our response be to God our Father? We should take comfort in that. We should take comfort in him knowing that he is our Father, regardless of what is going on in our lives, regardless of what is happening. We can take comfort knowing that he loves me, even when we don't understand. That he is with us, our Father. He's not going to be like some of our earthly fathers who abandon us. He will never abandon us. You know, when I was a little girl... Uh, there were times that I would get sick, or I can remember I had a I was playing basketball, which I'm not athletic, and hit my head on the gym floor and had a concussion. And they sent me home from school, and I, my mom was all worried and bothered and thinking I was dying. And I was stressed. And my dad comes home from work, and he walks in the bedroom, and he puts his hand on my shoulder and says, It's going to be fine. You're good. You're going to be great. And that's all I needed was my daddy said, everything's okay. You know what? I'm good. It changed my whole perspective. That is what we need to look at. God, our Father. My dad, my father is here. He's going to take care of me. He says it's going to be okay. I believe him. That is how we should respond to God, our Father. No matter what we're going through, find comfort in him as your father. Second name we see is the Holy One, chapter 1, verse 15. He says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. God is holy. He doesn't sin. But we can have a personal relationship with him because of Jesus. And because he covered our sin with his blood, we have access to to God our Father all the time. Even though He's holy, 
Jesus made that possible. What's our response to a holy God? Peter mentions it in that verse. Live holy lives. Make your Father proud of you by the way you live your life. And, you know, Peter gives them instructions. We're going to look at this over the coming weeks of how do we live holy lives? What does that look like? He covers that. And a question I think we need to ask ourselves, are we living in a way that the world sees there's something different in us? Or do we just blend in with the world? I've shared with you, my college roommate in college didn't even know I was a... I mean, she laughed when I told her I was a Christian. Because my lifestyle didn't show that. Are we showing the world that there is something different? Are we attracting people to him in us by the way we're living? Do we make people hunger for him? So the third name we see is the impartial judge. Chapter 1, verse 17. Peter says, If you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, he is going to judge with perfect justice. Every person who has ever lived, who ever will live, is one day going to stand before God and be judged for what he has done. That means every person who has hurt you, who has abused you, who has treated you unfairly, who has been harsh with you unfairly, people who will persecute you, they'll be judged. He will judge them fairly. So what should our response be? Let God be the judge. Let him do the judging. Don't take things into your own hands and go, you hurt me, I'm going to make sure you suffer for it. You let him take care of it. You know, I think about Elizabeth Elliot, um, how after her husband Jim Elliot went to take the gospel to a group of people, and those very people he went to share Christ with murdered him. Elizabeth Elliot could have lived her life in hatred and bitterness and just anger at God, and she could have just prayed that those people would go to hell. But she let God be God. And she ended up taking the gospel to them, the very people who had killed her husband. And I think about that as an example of that. That's a great example of how let God judge. And while until he judges them, we can pray for them. And if we have a chance, share Christ with them. Let him be the judge. Fourth name, the precious cornerstone. This is in chapter 2. So we've now moved from chapter 1 to chapter 2. Do you see how many names? And we've just started. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 6. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in me will not be disappointed. Jesus Christ is that cornerstone. He is the very foundation of our faith on which the body of Christ, the church, is built on him. And without his life, his death, his resurrection, we'd have no hope. 
there would be no Christianity. He is the foundation. So what should our response be to him as our cornerstone? We should build on that foundation. Invest your life in bringing people to the family of God. Invest your life in in sharing Christ and helping people grow in Christ, in building up the body of Christ. You know, I, I was convicted by this this week because I was asking the question, are you sharing Christ with anybody? You know, I work at a church, and most of my time is spent with Christians. I used to have all kinds of opportunities when I worked in the hospital. But it's hard, and I thought, but that doesn't give me an excuse because I've got neighbors. I've got people I know outside of here. But am I really building on the foundation? Am I talking about him? Am I, am I investing myself into people's lives? And that, you know, ask yourself, are you mentoring young moms, young women? Are you discipling them? That's all building on the cornerstone. Fifth name is the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Chapter 2, verse 25. And he said, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. As our shepherd and as our guardian, he guides us. He protects us. He provides for us. He he guards us from, from danger. We're safe with him. And yes, we may go through opposition and those wolves may come and try to attack us. And we may find ourselves in those storms of doubt and defeat, discouragement, doctrine. But we're safe with our shepherd and guardian, even if that means we lose our lives because he takes us home and puts us in a better place. For some of these persecuted Christians, they were going to lose their lives. But he hasn't abandoned them. He's still their shepherd and guardian. He's just escorting them to their eternal home. So what is our response to the shepherd and guardian? Cling to him. Stay close to him. Don't wander off like a little stray sheep that thinks, I need to go explore this by myself. Because that little sheep's going to get eaten alive or fall down the side of the mountain. We need to cling to the shepherd, the guardian. Stay close to him, because otherwise we're going to be swept away by the currents. And then six, Lord. Chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. His rightful place is on the throne of our lives. But are we fighting him for that place? Do we want to be on the throne and in control? It really comes down to a control issue. Or are we allowing him to rule? So our response to him as Lord is that we need to surrender. Surrender to him. Surrender your will to his will. He knows what's best for us. And so let him sit on the throne of your life. And yes, that means letting go of being in control of your life. 
You know, I, I've shared my testimony with you. Uh, I, I was a Christian before I went to college, and I think he was on the throne of my life before I went to college, as much as I could understand that. But for three years in college, I pushed him off and said, I am going my way. I'm in control. And I made a mess of things, and my life was a mess. And I finally realized I needed to just get off the throne and hand it over to him. And my life has never been the same since. It's a decision I don't regret. Is he on the throne of your life today? Or do you need to step off and hand it over to him? Seventh name. We're now in chapter 4. He is the faithful creator. Chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. He's our faithful creator. He created us. He will be faithful to us. He will get us through whatever comes our way because we're his. We're his creation. And he's a loving God. What's our response? Entrust ourselves to him. Trust him with your life. Even when you don't understand why, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? He created you. He knew what your life was going to look like before you were born. And Peter's audience was going through trying times, and they didn't understand why, and they were not going to understand why when persecution really hit full force. And he's saying, Entrust your soul to a faithful creator. You know, I have several friends who are suffering from chronic illness, all kinds of different things, and they're women who want to serve the Lord, they want to speak, they want to write, but God has taken that away from them right now. And they struggled. God, why? I'm here to serve you and you're not letting me. Saturday, I got an email from one of those friends who said, I need prayer. I'm supposed to speak at a women's event tonight. But I spent last night in the ER because of pain. But I don't think God wants me to cancel. Pray for strength. I don't understand why God allowed this to happen. But I trust him. And she went, she spoke, and she said God used it. But these are times that we are going to have things happen in our lives, and we're not going to understand why. And we may get a little bit angry with God. We're to entrust our souls to our faithful Creator. The eighth name, Chief Shepherd. Now we're in chapter 5, so you know we're coming to an end. Chapter 5, verse 4. And when the Chief Shepherd appears, you will receive the, uncra- the unfading crown of glory. And this name is similar to the title shepherd and guardian of your souls. But here, Peter is emphasizing that Jesus is the chief shepherd. There are other shepherds that are going to be over us on this earth. We have pastors. We have uh, elders in the church. We have ministry leaders, Sunday school teachers, disciples, small group leaders, parents. 
But he is the chief shepherd over all shepherds. And he is committed to our well-being. And he wants us to follow his example as we shepherd others. You know, right after this verse, we'll see this when we get there, Peter instructed the elders of the church, this is how you need to shepherd your people. So what is our response to the chief shepherd? Shepherd his flock well. Follow his example. Be a shepherd to the flock that God has entrusted to you in this season. It may be a small group of women. It may be your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, nephews. It may be children in the nursery that you're taking care of or that you're teaching. It just may be a woman that you're coming alongside and discipling or mentoring. Shepherd them well. Because he will return, and when, you, when he does, he'll reward you for being the shepherd that he wanted you to be. And then the last name, number nine, the God of all grace. 1 Peter 5.10 After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I love that verse. Grace is a theme that runs through every chapter of this letter. And you will see that in every lesson. Grace runs through it. And Peter reminded them over and over of the sufficiency of God's grace. When they suffer, God's grace will be enough for you. So what should our response be to the God of all grace? Embrace it. Embrace God's grace. As you walk through all the fiery trials or the hard times, the sickness, marital struggles, infertility, whatever it is that is hard, embrace his grace. Because his grace is sufficient for us when we think we can't do it or can't go on. You know, this has been uh, a very busy season for me. Fall is typically very busy. How many of y'all are fall very busy? And, um, you know, it's, it's that way every year. But this year, it just seems to be a little bit higher um, busyness. I mean, you know, heart-to-heart every week and teaching heart-to-heart. The girls' getaway is at the end of the month. We're trying to finish up with getting ready for that. Going to India this November, trying to prepare and get ready for India. Christmas dinner coming up right behind that as soon as we get back. And then on top of that, I think most of you know that um, I signed a contract with Moody for one of my Bible studies. And so I have a deadline in October before I go to India to get that manuscript polished enough to turn into the editor's. And so the other night, last week, actually, I sat down and I said, God, I don't think I can do this. I just don't think I can do everything on my plate and do it well. Help me. I don't know what to do. And he reminded me of the very thing he reminded Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. My grace is sufficient for you. And I've clung to that verse. I have it written out so I see it every day. 
He is the God of all grace. And if he's called you to something, he will do it. If he's put you in a tough situation, the God of all grace will see you through it. So we've looked at nine names of God throughout this letter. I hope you'll go home and just mark them, color them. I did. And so the challenge for us this year is stay anchored to Jesus Christ. He is our hope. What storm are you facing or what storm is threatening to sweep you off course or to take you under? You know, just identify it and then realize, realize and ask yourself, what do I need to do to stay anchored in Christ through this storm? I can't wait to get going next week into chapter 1 of First Peter. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these women who are willing to study this book written at a time that's very similar to what we're going through today. Maybe not the persecution the way they were, but times of uncertainty. And Lord, I pray again that we would just dig ourselves into this word, that we would study it with our hearts. And Father, for those women out there this morning who feel like they are going under in a storm, Lord, show them what they need to do to just anchor to you tightly. In Jesus' name, amen.